You're listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Union Road Presbyterian Church. For more information, join us on Facebook or visit our website at unionroad.org.uk. We, we began our service thinking of Simeon and Anna, and what were they, they were thanking and praising God for the birth of this Christ. And what they did is what we're going to do and think about today is that we're going to be praising God for Jesus. That's exactly what Simeon and Anna were doing, what they were, were thankful for for, for Jesus. And well, that's what Isaiah chapter 12 is about. Isaiah chapter 12 is talking about salvation. And well, we know that that salvation is in Jesus. We need to be praising God for Jesus. And well, Isaiah chapter 12 it echoes, we would say, a little bit of what happened in Exodus 15. So Israel, remember, they, they crossed through the Red Sea. They're on dry land. They get to the other side. And the waters, they close on Pharaoh and the Egyptian army. And on the other side, Israel is safe. And what do they do? Well, Moses and everyone sings to God's praise. They sing of God's salvation because God had rescued them. And what they experience, that salvation, is just like a little taste of the the full and final salvation that is to come. And well, if you've been coming along on the Sunday evenings, and if you haven't, well, you've been missing out. doesn't matter who's preaching because it's God's Word. But the chapter 12 is the epilogue. It's the last chapter of the first section of Isaiah. The first 12 chapters are rammed full of so, so much stuff and much, many verses that will be familiar to us. So that our, our sins are scarlet, that are washed white as snow. That's Isaiah chapter 1. Uh, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. That's Isaiah chapter 6. And then we also have met constantly over the last number of weeks with, with this glorious Jesus, this glorious Christ that is to come, that he is Emmanuel, God with us, that he is those wonderful names in Isaiah 9, that he's wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. And then we're building this picture up of Jesus. And then we have this magnificent vision on chapter 11, don't we, of just paradise. And it's no wonder then that Isaiah just bursts into praise in chapter 12 because that chapter 11 is that full and final salvation, isn't it? And that's why it's in that day. So it's in that day, yes, they're going to go off to exile and return. In a sense, that's like a taste of salvation, like escaping Egypt's the taste of salvation. As each of us who have trusted in Jesus get a taste of salvation, in that day, in that final day, we will taste it and see it so much better and it will be all in all of its fullness. Time after time after time, Isaiah has been reminding us that a, a holy God saves, that he's going to, to, to do something to save his people. And with the, the difficult circumstances as Isaiah preaches, as he speaks, it could be reflected in our world today as we've learned. There's governments that are unholy, unjust. They, they seem to be getting richer. The poor are getting poor. They don't care about the vulnerable people. They, they're hopeless and useless. The people are, are spending their money and all the material things of the day rather than praising God. And well, one commentator says that chapter 12 is like a spiritual pick-me-up. It reminds us and it's an item of praise of who we should be praising. And of course, it is the Lord. So as we think about this chapter together, please have your Bibles open with you as you follow along. But the first thing is that, yes, we should be praising God for Jesus, but what should be on our wish list, as it were? What should be on our wish list? 
I'm not sure what different families do, do for, for, for Christmas, but Sarah's folks are there doing a secret Santa and up and all kinds of things, but you're able to send in your wish list of what you would like. And it would be handy to get one thing on the wish list, wouldn't it? Not to pick one out of 12 things that some, maybe someone's chancing their arm. But just you can add things to your wish list. And I picked Amazon. That's probably the death to so many businesses. But it's probably the best known example. You can add you know, thing, items to your wish list or to save for later. Things that you really, really want. And you can share it. And I'm sure many of the children, maybe in November or December, wrote long, long lists uh, of things that they would have liked for Christmas. But what is it that should be on everybody's wish list, as it were? Well... If we look at verse 1, just in that second line, although you were angry with me, what we need to remember in all of this is that God is angry with us. God is angry with sinners. Isaiah has gone about pointing out the sin in the people's hearts over and over again in Jerusalem, and he points out the sin in our own hearts too. We are materialistic, aren't we? He points out constantly the sins of our own hearts, and we see pictures of God's anger throughout those first 12 chapters. So in chapter 10, for example, verse 5 and 6, God is explaining that Assyria is going to pour out judgment on Israel because they are sinners. Because God is angry with them. He says, I dispatch him, Assyria, against the people who anger me. Their sin is angering God. All of us violate God's law, and we ought to expect God's wrath. And Isaiah is speaking. He's, the, he's a holy man. He's a prophet of God. And when he sees the Lord in Isaiah chapter 6, what does he say? He says, woe is me. Because he sees his own sinfulness. So what is it that needs to be on our wish list? It's salvation, isn't it? Salvation is what we are most in need of. See, though God is angry, his anger is turned away. How? How is God's anger appeased? Well, yes, through his wrath. But it's not our, it's not our good outweighing our bad. It's not our, even our being here today. You see, we're in most in need of this salvation, but there's a provider. It's not from ourselves. There's a provider. There's a giver of this salvation. So in, in verse 1, what is it that they're saying? It says, I will praise you, Lord. Surely God, verse 2, surely God is my salvation. You see, this is all personal for us. There's no second-hand salvation or hand-me-down salvation. It has to be ours, individual. See, in his love for us, God, though we are guilty people, God provides for us. We see just glimpses of it there, that God comforts us. And God's provision is uh, his wrath on a sacrifice. And it's, it's Jesus. See, those who receive God's provision of salvation know their scarlet sins are washed white as snow. So regardless how many great sins that we have, and we do have, God is greater. His salvation runs deeper than our sin, as it were. That the most wretched sinner, me and you, can find forgiveness in this provider. See, how is God's anger appeased? In his wrath. God's anger is appeased in his wrath. But that wrath, instead of being on us as sinners, that wrath is on Jesus, the one who stands in the sinner's place and takes the punishment sin deserves. And that is why God's anger 
in verse 1. Though you're angry with me, your anger is turned away and you have comforted me. God's anger is turned away from us because of Jesus. And sometimes it's the most mind-boggling thing. Maybe sometimes it's the most confusing thing for people. How do you avoid an angry God? Is that you go to God. You go to that same God, into the arms of a holy God, because we are alienated. We have great fears. We have a great need, and it's all ended in God. Exodus chapter 15, verse 2, is the same words there as well. And while salvation and trust, it does bring strength, and God alone is the source of that strength. Salvation is what we need. God is the provider, and God uh, himself is that provider. God himself is that provider. Later on today, I think it is on BBC, they're starting a new series around the world in 80 days. You know, uh, David Tennant, old Doctor Who, I don't know how many Doctor Who's ago, is the lead role in it. And maybe I'm a little bit of a cynic, but do you know who else is in that series? His son? I think that's very, very convenient, maybe. But we might be skeptical, and mm, is he really that talented? And Well, you can say that for both of them, maybe. But are they really, is he really that good to, to be part of that role, to get his own son to play the part? And we can, maybe him and has, maybe a bit suspicious, but whenever God casts himself as the role of our Savior, it's the most glorious thing. It's the most loving thing. It's showing God's great love for us, as maybe, maybe David did get his son the role, but it's showing his love. Times that by, I don't know, a trillion. God's love for us in Jesus. He casts himself as the provider. Because Isaiah, he's going about speaking and speaking and speaking. But what does his name mean again? Does anybody remember? The Lord is salvation. There in Isaiah's name, they're reminded every time they say or give off about Isaiah, they literally have the answer in their lips. The Lord is salvation. Over and over again, Isaiah's name announces grace. His name proclaims to these broken sinners who they should be turning to, not themselves or to another political power or world power, but the Lord. Like the people in Jerusalem, we like to be in control, do things our own way, and the way we live life really underpins what matters to us most. See, we don't think of our lives as being infested with idols, that's exactly what our lives are. But God provides us salvation because he himself is salvation. Salvation is nothing really to do with us at all. It's all of God's work. It's all of his work. God's work in rescuing sinners from the guilt of sin. We all have guilt. We're all guilty. Have you ever been angry at somebody? Jesus says you're a murderer. Ever looked lustfully at somebody? He says you committed adultery. Have you ever lied to somebody? He says you're a liar. I think we could all cover all those bases here today, couldn't we? And what God says, we're guilty. We are lying, adulterous murderers, each one of us. That's exactly what we are. We are guilty. We, we say a lie, we might feel a little bit of guilt for it, but here in God's eyes, we are utterly guilty of sin. And what does God do? He rescues us. The Lord is salvation. It's all of his own work. It's all of God's work in rescuing sinners from the guilt that we have of sin to restoring sinners into a relationship with God. We're against God in every way. 
yet he brings us into a relationship with him. And he receives us as children and co-heirs of Christ. What a glorious salvation. See the amount of work we have to do for it? God gives it to us. It's all of the Lord's work in rescuing and restoring and receiving us. We are condemned in our sin to becoming co-heirs with our Savior. All of the Lord's doing. What grace. What full and complete salvation. Not just being saying, oh, we're not guilty. But actually, let's have a relationship. Let's not just have a relationship. Let's be my children. Let's be co-heirs with Jesus. Oh, what grace. What salvation. Surely that salvation should all be on our wish list, as it were. And it's all provided to us by God. It's all given to us by God. But how on earth are we to respond to this gift? How on earth are we to respond to this most glorious gift that God gives us? We're going to think about it very briefly. See, as you may or may not have received a present yesterday, you maybe had to put on a, a, a grin, maybe whenever it wasn't deserved, on your gift. But how on earth are we to respond to this gift, this grace from God? And how we respond is, oh, is so crucial. Because look at what the Lord provides for us here. Well, the Lord, surely God, verse 2, is my salvation. Just above that, we're told that the Lord comforts us. God comforts us. All our troubles, all our anxieties, God comforts us. But as whenever we feel weak and exhausted, we're not sure how we're going to live day by day. In the middle of verse 2, the Lord, the Lord, He is my strength. He is the one who gives to us. He gives us so, so much. Our salvation and all these other blessings. And what is our response to be? Well, our first response is to be trust, isn't it? Verse 2, I will trust. Leaning on, have confidence in Jesus. Trusting God with our past, our ugly, sinful past. All those sins might not be in a barrier for us and God. We need to trust Jesus because Jesus provides us a way to God. That our sins are really atoned for in the cross, in his death and resurrection. Trusting God in the now, as we live day to day, that God really is our comforter that God really is our, our strength and our refuge, that we're trusting God in this glorious future, this universal final day, that this salvation is going to be revealed in all of its fullness. The sting of death and the threat of punishment is gone, and there's going to be this peace. Isaiah spends his whole ministry calling on people to trust in the Lord and not be afraid. To trust in God and not all the other false gods that they were trusting in, not to trust in the securities of political allegiances that Israel were trusting in, not with false hopes or false saviors. We are to trust God. Do you trust God? Do you trust God in the, the good times, but in your crises? So how do we really feel about trusting in God alone? Or do we, or like the people of Israel here, they would have said we trust the Lord. They would have, they would have said that. But it was more of like a side order, if you like. So they would have had a little bit of God, and they would have had Baal, and they would have had political alliances. They would have had all these things lined up. They weren't really trusting in God at all, because they weren't trusting in God alone. If you're not trusting in God alone, you're not trusting in God really at all. We like to do a pick and mix, don't we? We add other things. Yes, we would say we cling to God, but we add other things to make us feel comfortable and secure. Ray Ortland, 
I really appreciate. He says this, the more props we need, the more insecure we become. Are you worried about where you're standing with the Lord or you're confused with, with all the things that are going on in this world? Well, are you using a lot of props? Are you taking cod and all these other things, like a pick and mix, and putting it all in uh, and hoping to live life that way? Trust in Jesus. What are we saying? Christ is enough. He gives us salvation when we trust him. And what's our response to be? Well, we trust and we are to give thanks. Verse 4, give thanks to the Lord. And I'm sure we teach our children as early as possible to say thank you. And that's what we should do. We should be thanking the Lord. We should be giving thanks to the Lord for what? For our salvation. That he is our comfort and our strength, our help and our refuge. For all the blessings that God gives us. We are to publicly declare thanks for what he has done for us. Give thanks to the Lord. Next thing, call on his name. Now that's a, that's a loaded Old Testament phrase, call on his name. Used in the Old Testament to describe worship quite often because God has made himself known. He's revealed himself. And we call on his name as we enter into worship with him. So all our services start off with a portion of scripture to, to remind us to give thanks to God, but to, to as it were, elevate ourselves to praise God, is to call upon God's name. And when it's used in worship, but especially in the Old Testament, of prayer, that we are to be praying people, that we are, our response to the salvation that we have is not to, to forget about Jesus and to forget about God, but it's actually to pray more and more to him, to pray and give thanks in the awareness of what God has revealed to us in Jesus, what Jesus has done for us, and what Jesus has committed himself to do in the future, that he's even interceding for us as we sit here today. As we call upon his name, as we trust him, as we, our hearts are filled with thankfulness, we're also to be filled with joy. And that's mentioned twice in verses 3 and 6, but especially verse 3. What does it say? With joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. We are to enjoy God. Sin spoils that, of course, but we are to enjoy God. Salvation restores our joy. And while this is the, the picture that Isaiah is giving, that we are to draw water from the wells of salvation. So if we take ourselves to Israel, you know, when Isaiah is writing, fairly dry, whenever there's a well, it is literally a source of life. It's literally a source of life for the people. And while Jesus in John 4, remember the Samaritan woman at the well, what does he say? That he will give them her water that she would never thirst again. Jesus is this living water. You see, the Lord's resource is not limited like the wells. The wells are used, and then you have to find another well. Well, here is Jesus. He's this reservoir, this well of salvation. And what are we to do? We are to draw water, as it were, from Jesus. See, God, He does meet all our needs, but will he meet all our needs if we sit passively and inactive in our walk? We need to go to Jesus. We need to draw from Jesus what he has provided. We need to, to go with our rope with our bucket as well and to draw from Jesus. Because this is all from the Lord. This salvation, this joy, it comes from Jesus, not anything else. 
Jesus is using this picture that you're never going to be thirsty again. Uh, and well, what that lady needed, the smart woman, was salvation. What every human needs is salvation. But whenever God's people, Israel, left Egypt, they got across the, the Red Sea, and they needed continued looking after, didn't they? Initially, they get bitter water, but then they get good water from the Lord. And you see, Jesus, yes, he provides our salvation, but he also provides us for us day by day by day. We need to be going to Jesus, and we need to be going deep into Jesus. We need to be drawing from Jesus. If we draw from Jesus, the deeper we go into Jesus, you know what happens? The greater love that we have for Jesus and the greater, the greatest, greater joy that we will have. The more we fill ourselves with Jesus, the more joy that we will have. And because we're going to be filled with this joy, we'll be singing praise to God, we'll be calling on his name more, we'll be being thankful, we'll be trusting him all the more in our lives. And well, we thought about drawing from Jesus. You know, that's like a bit of an inward thing, to draw from Jesus. We thought about praising and, and thanking God. That's upward to, to, to God, if you like. But there's also another dimension to this that our response should be. And it's outward, isn't it? In verse 5, what does it say? Let this be known through the earth. In verse 4 as well, make known among the nations what he has done. Our response is that we are to proclaim. We are to tell people about this well of salvation that is in Jesus. That Isaiah, the Lord, is salvation. To make known God's special saving work in Jesus. And to encourage one another in that. Isaiah 12, it's so short. It's so ramful, and it is oh so beautiful, isn't it? That the Lord is our salvation, and that we are to call out to him, and we are to praise and to thank him. And as we finish this little series, a holy God saves. What is Isaiah's name? The Lord is salvation. Folks, remember that. We are not our saviors. The Lord is salvation. And it is Jesus who provides it. So let us be people who continue to trust in him. Let us give thanks. Let's praise. Let's call upon his name. Let's be full of joy as we go deeper and deeper into the unfathomable riches of Christ's grace. And let's go tell the world. They need to know they are lost without Jesus. We're going to sing, but before we do that, let's call on the name of the Lord and let's praise him. Let's thank him for the salvation that we find in Jesus. Let's pray. Thank you.